Welcome to Success Authority's Conversation Street with Leadership Authority, Peter Beaumont, and with Business Culture Authority, Ron Lehman, and me, Linda Ruland, Success Authority's founder. <laughs> so, uh, Craig and I have known each other all the years, quite a long time. And um, we worked very closely together on SEGC, and then he invited me into a, a group, a true no- uh, a group he's formed, a True North group, which is in its infancy at the moment, but um, is um, is flourishing, I think, very well under his leadership. Um, he and I cross swords in a number of things, but we always ultimately, um, you know, leave friends, which is really cool. I like that, and we're, we're opposite ends of the scale on a lot of political areas, but. It doesn't stop us still being friends, which I think is no. very. And I think cool. we we agree on the problems for the most part. It's the solutions that sometimes elude our yeah. alignment. And I'm always right, and so is he. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and uh, you know, Peter, when when you get to be your age, the dementia does set in, and so I, I will let you believe that kind of stuff, and you'll be fine. As you can see, he's very lucky. <laughs> I'm not close to him. <laughs> 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 but anyway, so it's um, virtual, <laughs> right? Yes, exactly. But Craig has an enormous amount of experience, particularly in marketing and manufacturing, and has worked with companies that have had growth issues. So I thought um, he would be great to have on here and help us work through this discussion in Conversation Street. So I appreciate you guys having me. Well, welcome, Craig. Thank you. Yeah, hopefully we won't regret it. <laughs> I started regretting it as soon as I saw Peter. But after that, I was fine. When Ron came on, I was good. No, I, I, you know, I, Peter, they're very kind words. I, I do appreciate our friendship because it does make sure that I get to see the various sides of issues. So our topic today is why do companies struggle with growth? And that can be a far reaching and very deep topic. Uh, my Challenge to you is where do we start with um, something that's actionable on the part of our audience? Yes, that is a fairly broad topic. Um, I can tell you that with the companies I worked for, it does not matter the size. Most companies struggle because they, however many levels they have, each level thinks the company represents something else or serves someone else. And until an outsider comes in and says, let's bring all these disparate views together into a common view, typically focused on the end user, the customer, growth chokes itself off because you can't be everything to everybody. And and the the best quick example I can give you is I did uh, work for a national feed producer here in the Twin Cities and uh, they produce feed for all sorts of different types of livestock. And uh, the number of items that they lost money on outnumbered the items that made up the 80% of the profits they made. And they didn't think there was anything they could do to get rid of those. So they were selling so much on price that they were crowding out their ability to produce items that they could make a lot more money on. But they didn't know it because nobody ever did the analysis. So it's just that knowledge of what are we really all about? Yeah, I, I, 
I think that's yeah, it's a really good point. The the I think one of the things that I've come across is that some of these companies don't define what growth really is. So what am I trying to grow? Is it top line, bottom line? Um and why? <laughs> and some of the smaller companies I work for suffer from, you know, maybe I don't need to grow. Maybe I'm okay being a lifestyle business. And we talked about this before. And sometimes that suits the smaller companies. The trouble with that mentality, I believe, is that, you know, if you don't grow, <laughs> what's the alternative? Uh-huh. It, it's normally death. <laughs> so you, 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 it's every. It's like saying I don't want to change. Um, change is going to happen whether you like it or not. Well, and Peter, that's what I was going to add to what you had said is these lifestyle type businesses. Um, and I, it's you, you and I talked briefly about this last week and, and I was going over a bunch of the companies that I'm either talking to or working with and they all are sort of stuck in there. And the problem is, is that if you want to be a lifestyle business, that's great, but plan to manage your business to zero because if you can't evolve or can't change, the market's going to move past you. And if you're managing going forward by what happened yesterday, you're still only solving the problems of the people that they had yesterday. And so it's really important to understand where is the puck going so that can we can we evolve towards where that's going to be? And it doesn't matter the size, scope, scale of the business, whatever. It really is where are we going to grow to? And what's our customer going to do during that growth? Or are they gonna are we gonna change our customer? And Peter, you said something else that I really agree with is the uh, top line, bottom line, because those are two of the three levers that I look at is you should only do things that drive top line sales, do things that drive bottom line profitability, or do things that aggressively manage the expense line. And if you're doing anything else, it should be stopped immediately. Uh, because it's not adding value to the organization. It's only creating complexity that detracts from those things you're trying to do. If, if, you know, both of you have talked about, you know, and just it's, it's, what it sounds to me like is that there's some fundamental questions that have to be asked before you launch into growth. And that is, as you both mentioned, you know, what is that? What do we mean by growth? where is that coming from? Why are we doing it? And then, um, and then we can get to the how. And I, I suspect a lot of organizations jump right past those and jump into the how before really thinking yeah. about being strategic about that because growth is expensive, um, not only in cash, but just in the disruption of the organization. I've, I've worked with organizations who, grow to the point of damaging their core business because you've got to run the business while you're growing it. Um, you can't really just, let's just stop and we'll take a couple of years to work all our growth plans out and then we'll get back into business. So um, seems to me often that's, that's underestimated is the complexity of what it's going to take as opposed to, well, whatever we're doing, we'll just do more of it. Well, and Ron, I think it brings to mind a really great example of this dairy company I worked with years ago, and uh, they were they were growing, but their complexity was growing faster than their sales, and so they did exactly what you said: is they retrenched and said, "Okay, really, who are we really? 
and they decided they were a liquid dairy company to provide either finished goods or ingredients to people that were going to add liquid dairy to their products. So it got them out of all the cheese stuff. It got them out of all the, uh, the really the milk stuff. They weren't going to compete in the commodity milk. It was all value added. And when they did that, they really supercharged their growth because they knew exactly what they wanted to do, which really narrowed their focus on who their customer could be. And it, to me, and, and Peter is a huge Simon Sinek fan, as am I, um, and you talked about it, Ron, of the, we want to do the how right away. And as Simon had said in his golden circle, the why, the what, and the how kind of is an outcome of that. If you really understand the fundamental why you're doing what you're doing, the how and the what tend to be outcomes. And I've, I've really shifted my focus over the last three to four years on, on profitability because as a business unit leader, profit, 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 that's what we were charged with. But profit's an outcome of properly managing your business and managing your growth. Because the growth in, in a, a construction company here in town, they have bought up most of their competition. And what they found is that they pay a premium, a higher and higher premium for their competitors and the market that they're in, the margins become lower and lower and lower. And they realize that's not the pathway to growth or good growth, but because the patriarch of the organization and family member is late 80s, can't change, won't change. And so they continue to do these things that mean that they work harder and harder and harder for every dollar of profitability they generate. And I think that's another lesson to be learned is that it, think of it. And I, it, as I talk to people, I talk about it of investing. If you could invest a dollar, what would you want to get back? Which would you choose? Can I get a penny back for each dollar invested, a quarter or another dollar? And that's a pretty easy math equation is that, well, I want the dollar. I certainly don't want the penny. So I'll accept the quarter. And it, it's just amazing to me how stuck people get on. Peter, and you said this early on, what is growth supposed to mean? And they just meant volume. They wanted to yeah. sweat their assets and move product through the facilities. Well, they, they maxed out capacity in aged plants without ever realizing all that did to their efficiency was destroy it, meaning that they made less and less on everything because they didn't stay focused on what they were supposed to be about and, and their why for being in business. Yeah, I think the other um, factor is what you said is profitability it, to a certain extent is a measure of the value you're providing. Mm -hmm. And exactly. um, and your value can suffer through that, that example you just gave because um, inefficiencies, quality goes down, and all of a sudden, um, all those things you did really well, it's harder and harder to do those as you scale up. And so it really starts to erode the profit. So, um, yeah, a couple of things that strike me as, as you were talking, Craig, is that um, I like the way you're using examples, and I was reaching deeply into the vault. <laughs> but when I was uh, with Coca-Cola, one of the things that uh, is a problem, by the way, uh, for most corporate, when I say corporate, I don't mean just, you know, 20 employees that operate like a corporation. I mean, large corporations. And uh, 
most of them are under the scrutiny of the stock market and they have to produce quick results. And so most of the stimulus for larger companies for growth is as a result of the stock market dictating that, basically, or your stock will go down. Um, and I think this has been uh, a problem for a number of companies. It was, for example, Richard Branson took most of Virgin off the stock market and privatized it for that very reason. Uh, Coca-Cola went through the same issue. They wanted quick growth. The stock market was um, asking for it. So they started a plethora of brands in the uh, in the uh, belief that their distribution system was so powerful, which it was and is, would drive that consumer demand. But that doesn't drive consumer demand, just producing goods, you know, unless you actually uh, got the right target market to reference what you were saying earlier, Craig, that doesn't drive it. And so what they ended up doing is focusing back on the four major brands, which at that time were Fanta, Coke, um, Sprite and Diet Coke, and the growth was extensionally much higher than it had been with the strategy they were trying before and got the kind of returns. So that leads you to, where's your growth come from? You can either sell more to an existing consumer, right? We've all heard this before. Or you get new customers. And clearly, the new customer one didn't work at that time for Coca-Cola. Later, they did. But it was controlled growth then. They didn't just try and go out. Um, They decided that growth had to be controlled and they would enter each market specifically with new products. Did Peter, did they, um, that, that new products, was that also, was part of that, the sort of brand extension wave that passed through all businesses where, well, we'll just have 19 kinds of Coke no, or was no, it new but, products? No, these or were, both? these were new. So they were, bringing out coffee, which they'd done in Japan. Now it's very popular, by the way, but they uh, brought a product from Japan. Coffee is really popular over there from vending machines. They brought it over into the States. Uh, uh, they were bringing out um, derivations of Minute Maid orange juice. So bringing out completely new brands like Fresca, bringing out, which now we know pretty well, but they were just, just uh, n- then they went to line extensions, by the way. And that's when they realized, wait a minute, Let's sell more of the more of a similar thing to the same consumer, or broaden our consumer base with vanilla or with Coke Zero or whatever. But that's become much more latter, and and that's going deeper in your target and then extending it out. So it's much more controlled than it used to be. By the way, water well, was a big thing too, and and that speaks to a interesting thing that I've identified really with smaller companies, you know, startups specifically, but moving into small companies is that they, they tend to, they do two things that make me nervous. They, they tend to think that every customer has their passion for the product they're selling. <clears throat> and so they make that mistake of their, the product is the hero. Um, and then the second is that they look at sales as transactions. And I always look at sales, you you want the recurring sale. And so Peter, when you're talking about some of the, the Coke brands and all the you know soft drinks, any any of the beverages and salty snacks and cookies and crackers are all what in the grocery business we used to call um, expandable consumption items. 
is if you got people to buy a larger package size, they tended to consume more, which is why Oreo used to sell buy one, get one free all the time. Because what they found was that if you bought a package of Oreos, it took you a week to consume it. And I, I don't know if that's accurate, but some number of days. If you had two packages, that second one was gone in much less time, or the two were gone in less than 14 days, because you started you stopped worrying about limits and scarcity. You said, oh, I, I live in a land of plenty. I've got all the Oreos I could possibly want. I'll have another. And that was the six pack, 12 pack, 24 pack. When I was at retail, when you, you watched all the soft drink companies ramp up to the 24s and you saw the beer guys go to 30 packs and you saw Walmart selling cases of one liter bottles of clearly Canadian while stores were selling individual bottles because um, Walmart was trying to say, I want to take the customer out of the market. And so they were doing what they needed to do, but it's that expandable consumption of if I get people to buy more, they'll consume more and come back sooner. So it plays to both the basket <clears throat> and the traffic because they bought more in their one purchase, they consume more, so came back sooner to get more. And it's just an interesting, if you can find products that do that or that people will consume if they have more, that's a pretty good place to be. And it's yes. one of the reasons in what I do is I, you know, I, I try not to price by the hour because then everybody, well, I, I, uh, I don't want to consume it. If you pay me a retainer for the month and you can have unlimited access to my time, well, I, I, I provide more value and they see more value. So it's that value creation, whether it's real or perceived. Yeah, but you're, you're not impulse purchase. So, <laughs> and that's, that's what drives, to, to your analogy, it was a really good one. The same with Coke. The more we could get mm -hmm. into the house, the more we knew it would get consumed because it's impulse yep. a large, yep. to a large degree soft drinks, as are confectionery, as are some of the products you were mentioning, Oreos, same, same thing. So the more we can get in the home, the more we can get it consumed. Um, uh, and so our growth, by the way, reminded me, uh, Craig, of the when we went from a litre to a litre and a half to two litre, you know, pretty mm -hmm. much bucket, um, which... Uh, <laughs> Um, it eventually ran its its um, because ultimately people are not going to consume that in a single setting, um, right. and the carbonation eventually goes off. So it ran its course. I think it's topped out at two liter now. <laughs> you know, all these examples though are great because they go back to that. You know, it's it's you have a lot of choices on how you're going to grow, and if you've done the the why. Part, then it's I think it's a lot easier to measure those against each other and decide mm -hmm. which is the best path forward. I think the other piece of that is what will growth mean to the organization, to yeah. the people. And um, again, you know, that that sort of focused passion, the entrepreneur, the head of the company may really be passionate about growth. But other people in the organization may think, I, I, is that going to mean more work for me or how is this going to affect me? And I think oftentimes as growth is being rolled out, that that message is not communicated particularly well through the organization. It's, we're going to grow, it'll be great. And um, that may so not many, be what everyone thinks about. How many organizations have we probably collectively witnessed where the – and your speciality, Ron, in many ways, is culture, where the organization runs so fast, the culture completely changes. 
right? Mm-hmm. It, it's yeah. not the organization it was five minutes ago. Slight exaggeration. But, um, you know, that it can happen so easily w- with uncontrolled growth. And uh, um, it, it just becomes, instead of something that was started by half a dozen people with the common values in mind, they bring all these new people in, pretty much all unchecked for values at the door because they just need bodies. And the whole organization changes and, as a result, doesn't succeed. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversation Street. For more information or to submit a question, email successauthorities at inquire at successauthorities.com.